The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So some of you know, uh, and some of you are about to find out, that I am a fan of the Ohio State Buckeyes football team. OH. Oh, there's more here. All right. Last, last night, it was just dead silence. OH. Nothing. All right, there we go. <laughs> Is that you, Dan? Is that you? Who was doing that? Yes. All right. Okay. That's, that's the end of the sermon. Let's pray. Um, so I bring this up for, for this, this illustration. Let's just say I win box tickets to the Big Ten Championship in Indianapolis. Say I win that. And so they say, listen, as many people as you can fit, airfare covered, come down to the game. The Buckeyes are going to play whoever they're going to beat. And, um, and you can get free food, free drinks, enjoy the time. Now, I was actually thinking about this morning, Ron, you'd come. You'd come. Scott would come. Paul would probably come. My father-in-law would come. If we bring all our spouses, we're pretty full. But even then, Mark, you'd come. Um, even then, not all of them are Buckeye fans. And so even though they have an appreciation for the Big Ten uh, football, uh, it would be a different experience for myself and Buckeye fans than those who are not. So bear with me. The reason they would come if they are not in love with the Buckeye football team is for the free food, the free drinks, the experience of a championship game from a box seat. It'd be all the peripheral benefits that come from being there for that event, but not necessarily, if the, if the Buckeyes lose, Paul's not going to lose sleep over that. If they win, he might lose sleep over that. Um, you see, you're, they are there for the benefits of the scenario, the benefits that the Buckeye, knowing a person who loves the Buckeyes, brings them. For me and for Buckeye fans, really those things are extra for us. We are there to watch our favorite football team do what they do, play football, and we enjoy it, and we get enjoyment from that experience. The, the free food, the hot dogs, the nachos, the free drinks, whatever, the box seats, all extra for us. Here's, here's why I bring up this illustration. I find that in my walk with Christ, so I'm going to confess something. I find that in my walk with Christ, all too often, I come to him for his benefits and not for him. I come because I want him to help me fix this situation. I want him to help me have satisfaction in this thing that's going on in my life. I want clarity for my, the plan he has. I want resolution and peace, and I want more patience, and I want to be less selfish. But I really have no interest in him alone. I simply want the things I think he can give me. I don't think I'm alone in that. I don't think I'm alone in that. We sometimes come to our Savior, not for Him and Him alone, but we come to Him for the things we think He can give us. David, in this psalm, makes it very clear. It is in the presence 
of God and the presence of Jesus alone that we find provision, blessing, protection. It's not about the things we get. It's just about being near him. It's about intimacy with him. It's about proximity to our Savior. And so as we walk through this psalm, I'm going to share some of the things that have challenged me this week. And, and frankly, it's that. I look for the benefits. I don't look at my Savior as the benefit. And I've been challenged in that this week. And I think as we walk through, I think some of you will be challenged as well. Um, in fact, David starts this psalm just by declaring what this psalm is about. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If you're not familiar with King David, King David was the youngest of many sons, and because he was the youngest, he got the worst job. And the worst job was what? He was a shepherd. He watched over his father's sheep. And so he's not speaking about something he doesn't understand. David has intimate knowledge of everything it takes to be a good shepherd. He understands what it means to care for the sheep name by name, to know what it's like to fight off bears and lions and, and tigers. Oh my. He, he knows what that's like. He knows the danger he has to put himself in to keep care and watch over his flock. He knows what it means to bring them to green pastures and still waters. He knows all about it. So he, as he looks at that occupation that he had and he looks at what God does for him, he understands that a good shepherd at the center of the flock while the flock is around him is, is an incredible scenario. And he says what it means, I shall not want. What that means is if you're by the good shepherd, if you're near him, if you have proximity and intimacy with your Lord, you have everything you could possibly need. And so he is already challenging me. He's saying, Ransom, if you come to the shepherd just for the benefits, you're missing all the benefits. You're missing the point. He starts listing out the things that, that the sheep will get as they are near their shepherds. Let's just walk through this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by still waters. He restores my soul. Let's stop right there. These are pictures of intimate rest and care. What do you get from green pastures? Not only do the sheep get a needed nap, they get the food they need for sustenance. What do you get from still waters? Not only is it a peaceful setting, you get the water you need to keep your body healthy as a sheep, I assume. They need water too. What do you get from all that? Restore my soul. As a sheep gets wounded or stuck in the briar or whatever it is, the, the shepherd comes and mends their wounds. We as wounded sheep get restoration from the presence of our shepherd. And I don't think we'd argue with any of that. How many of you want that? I want that. I want green pastures. I want still waters. I want restoration for my soul. These are all things that are good. We, we, we can't argue that they're not. It's this fourth statement that's really thrown me for a loop this week, okay? It's this, it's this fourth little phrase in the series that even though my mom's here today, she made me memorize Psalm 23 when I was a kid, and I'm thankful. How many of you have been familiar with Psalm 23 for a very long time? I'm curious if this has really stuck out to you before. He leads me in paths of righteousness. This is mentioned right along with green pastures, still waters, restoration of the soul, and then there's this leading in paths of righteousness. There's this authority thing going on. I, I found some passages to kind of give us an idea of what this means. Um, here's two. 
and they're kind of opposites. They're both using the language of, of pathways and, and, and uh, paths and righteousness. So let's take a look. Psalm 119, lead me in the path of your commandments for I delight in it. Can we follow the shepherd to green pastures, to still waters, to restoration without obeying his commands? No, we cannot. No, we cannot. The, the path of the shepherd is a way that he is choosing and he is commanding his flock to follow behind him. And if we choose a different way, we don't end up in the same place. And so in, in some sense, we should see that obedience is blessing. Obedience is the path at, to which Christ leads us to these things. And here's, the, here's how we know it's not the other. Here's Isaiah. He's exasperated. He's a prophet to a really rebellious people. And so here's his statement. I spread out my hands all the day to a, a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good. You see the path language there? They walk in a way that is not good following their own devices. Here's what I'm learning. My sinful wandering, when I choose my own path that is not good, when I go a way that my Savior does not want me to go, it's a defeater to my intimacy with him. It's a defeater to my intimacy. Can I go my own way and still find green pastures and still waters and restoration? No. To be behind our shepherd, to be behind our God, to be behind our Lord and following him is the way we have intimacy. That, that, that to me was revolutionary to this psalm. It's not just a passing statement. It's not just something we can to, uh, skip over. It's, it's the core of, of what restoration and rest and intimacy means. This came up in my Facebook history this week. I read, uh, I was reading Cost of Discipleship apparently four years ago, and this popped up. The command of Jesus is hard, unutterably hard for those who try and resist it, but for those who willingly submit, the burden is light. You see, if we want to be where our Savior is, as he's leading us, as his flock, as his people, obedience is just one way to be with him. Obedience is intimacy. Obedience is blessing because we are following along a path that leads us to where Jesus wants us to go. And so if our sinful wandering is a defeater to our intimacy, what's the remedy to that? We have to ask, are there things in my life where I am grasping on to disobedience harder than I ought to? Am I choosing my own path, thinking that restoration's on the other side and that restoration that I can muster up is better than the one my shepherd can muster up? It's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. There is benefit in obedience, and the benefit of obedience is not salvation. We're going to get to that later. The benefit to obedience is intimacy. Intimacy. The scenery changes in verse 4. And, and David basically says, just like provision is to be near God, it's not something we get from God. Being near him is provision. We get protection from God. Protection is to be near God. Let's read this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. A couple points of teaching here. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, who is David writing to? He's writing to God's people. He's writing to people who are part of the flock already. People who God has called and have accepted the call, and they are connected with God in ownership. He owns the flock. He cares for the flock. They're connected. And yet, they're going through difficult times. They're going through what literally this means, the deepest dark you can imagine. The valley of the shadow of death is as deep and dark and dangerous as you can imagine. And he's saying, my flock is coming with me through that time. The Christian life, brothers and sisters, is not free from suffering. It's not free from trial. It's not free from danger. The common human experience is suffering because of the sinful brokenness of our world. Our world is messed up. Amen? And we are part of that world. When we become Christians, we're not suddenly removed from it. We live in it. We're marinated in it. Yet we have a shepherd that walks with us through it. We have to expect suffering. But in our suffering, we have to remember this, and this is what David's pointing at. We are not alone in it. We are not alone in our suffering. God is with us. He walks with us. And it's not the fact that he is like really good at a boomerang from a distance. He has a rod and his staff and he's got his sheep here. And our comfort is not in, in, the, in the non-existence of deep dark times. It's in his rod and his staff and his ability to protect them as they are near to him. Do you see the difference? But as I think about this, and I, as a preacher, you start saying things like, we get true protection from our Lord. And then my human heart says, well, but really, my life doesn't feel protected sometimes. Um, John Calvin helped me with this this week. I modernized this quote, uh, in case you're wondering what the brackets are, so we wouldn't have to undo weird Genevan French into English, old English stuff. Um, so here's what he says. I love this. It's very Calvin. The reason why we are so terrified when it pleases God to allow difficulty in our lives is because every man that he may sleep soundly and undisturbed wraps himself in carnal security. But there's a great, this is, this is where he really does the one-two punch, but there's a great difference between the sleep of stupidity and the rest which faith produces. Why do I freak out when things start going wrong because I've thought in my mind and I've plugged in as an equation for my life. If I work hard and I make enough money and my kids are healthy and my marriage is good and this is that and this is the other, then everything will be okay. And that is not how life works. That's not how life works. We have to expect trouble and trial and temptation. We have to expect the deep, dark times. And if we are not near our Savior, we don't feel the protection. Protection is God. It's not something he gives us from a distance. He doesn't send you into the valley and say, I'll see you on the other side. I'll be watching from above. No, he goes into it with you. And I was also thinking, I've heard a lot of stories where I really myself can't comprehend the suffering 
you've endured. I've heard those stories. I haven't experienced them. And so I know that some of you are thinking, but Ransom, you just don't understand. You don't understand what I have gone through. You don't understand what my story is. How could you say God protects me? I found this. This is in my studies. I found this quote quote from a a scholar, a Psalm scholar. And I, I thought it was perfect because what is more uh, deep, dark in the human life than death itself. And we've seen death a lot in the news. We've experienced it ourselves. And so here's what he has to say. Only the Lord can lead a man through death. All other guides turn back and the traveler must go on alone. How powerful is that image? Our career can't come with us. Our wealth can't come with us. Not even our relationships can come with us. Our accomplishment doesn't journey into death with us. The only thing that can come into and through death with us is the one who's experienced death and defeated it, Jesus Christ. And so to the deepest dark that we can imagine, Jesus is with us, and that must be our comfort. And so as we we boil all this down, I wrote down this phrase, and I knew immediately why God wanted me to teach Psalm 23. If I'm honest, I picked it because I thought, oh, it's a famous psalm. We'll start psalms in a, in a well-known place. God had a plan for me this week. So listen to this. My assurance is not in my circumstances. It is in my Savior. My assurance is in the fact that deep dark doesn't happen, that the valley of the shadow of death doesn't exist. It will exist. It does exist. My assurance is the fact that my Father, my Shepherd, my Savior walks with me through it. Jeremiah 17 says this, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. I like that that phraseology with what we're talking about today. It's not what he can give us. It is him. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain, and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Church, I want that. I want that. I don't want to be a victim of my circumstances. I don't want to fear when the heat and the drought come. I want an intimate connection with my Lord, knowing that he is near, trusting him, so that when it does, I don't faint. I don't dry up. I don't lose my mind. I journey through with my Savior and his protection. As a practical application, I I think that word trust is important. Intimacy starts with trust. Nearness starts with trust. We've all seen what it's like. (laughs) I just thought of of a story I'm going to tell. We've all seen what it's like when an animal doesn't trust you. I help our neighbors with their dog this week, and they're like, don't worry about it. The dog, you just open the door, it'll come right out. Apparently, I'm like, a dog, the version of a dog napper. I don't know, to dogs. This dog would not leave its bed. And so I'm just simply trying to get it to go to the bathroom and it's just growling and quivering. I just, I was talking in like the nicest, sweet voice that I could find, but it didn't trust me until I dumped it out of its bed and then it ran outside. I hope my neighbors don't listen to this. I just tipped the bed over and it ran outside to go to the bathroom. It worked. Um, (laughs) I had to force it because trust didn't exist. If we don't trust our Lord, we're going to struggle. And here's the reality. Our Lord is trustworthy. 
We may not see it, we may not believe it, but he can do nothing else but come to this earth, live a perfect life, die for your sins, be raised from the dead, ascend, and, 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 and advocate for you before the Father. He can't do anything else to prove that he's trustworthy. If we don't trust him, that's my issue. And so here's the, here's the practical remedy. Let's lean on him as if he's trustworthy and pray that we will grow in the trust of our Lord. If we keep ourselves at a distance through these hard times, trust will never build and we'll be left feeling like we're alone. We have a shepherd who can protect us. Let's be near him. Our prayer should change from, Lord, deliver me from these circumstances to be my deliverance in these circumstances. You see the difference? One is the benefit I can get from him. The other one is you, no matter what I am in, no matter what's going on, you are my del deliverance. There's a difference. As we move to the last two verses, the scenery changes, the imagery changes. If it didn't, it'd be hilarious because we'd be imagining sheep kind of set up at a table, eh, um, trying to eat with hooves and things like that. Um, so we go from shepherd and sheep to father and sons and daughters. We, we change the image. We change the image. No longer are we with our shepherd in the wilderness. We are royalty with our kingly father sitting at a feast. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David is saying this. Blessing, blessedness, is not what we get from God. It's simply being near God. We've got to redefine blessing. Blessing is not the, uh, a, a check that we get in the mail we didn't expect. Blessing is not our kids behaving. A blessing is not those things. Blessing is simply being in proximity with our Savior. That's, that's the definition of blessing. Now let's, let's walk through this passage and see how he says that. You see, the first thing you have to understand is to prepare a table for someone in this culture means to put away all enmity. If, if, someone, if we were enemies and, and I wanted to resolve that, that problem and, and rekindle a relationship, I would make a big feast and I would invite you to it. And the moment you came to that table and sat at it, all things would be done. So the fact that God is preparing you and I a table is the same message. He's saying, let's make peace. Let's be together. Let's have communion and intimacy and relationship together. But then it, go, it goes a little step further. There's almost this taunting situation going on. You see where it says, you prepare a table before me, but it's where? In the presence of my enemies. Imagine the people in your life or the, the beings in your life that really truly, they're not the guy that just eats your lunch out of the fridge at work, but they're, they're the people that want your harm. True enemies, they want you to be harmed. They want your bad. They want, they are against you. Imagine in your mind, those people, the devil is there and they are tied up watching God prepare this feast for you watching you enjoy intimacy with your father, watching you enjoy the presence of God, and they can do what? Absolutely nothing about it. 
What David is saying is there is no plan, there is no diabolical plot that can outdo, outrun, outpower God's plan for your life. Now, what is God's plan for your life? That can mean a lot of different things in our culture. So that's one of my number one FAQs, frequently asked questions. As, as my students transition from high school to college, in, in many different ways they ask, what's God's plan for my life? And here it is. You got a pen? Because I'm going to blow your minds. It's crazy. Here's God's will. That you and me, that we would be in intimate fellowship with him all the days of our life. That means you could be poor, you can be rich, you could be an engineer, you could be a pastor, you could be a business person, you could be unemployed, you could be uh, married or single, you could be at UF or FSU or OSU, you could be any of those places, and if you have intimate fellowship with God, you're smack dab in the middle of his plan for you. We, we take too much energy and too much time trying to figure out the, the nuts and bolts of, of am I going to mess this up? Am I going to mess this up? Am I going to do this wrong? God, what's going on? When if we would just f- concentrate on our Father and the fact that He has invited us in friendship to His table. Romans 8.31 What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? We hear it. This is a great bumper sticker verse. We hear it a lot. This is fact, folks. This is fact. If God is for us, who can be against us? It's a rhetorical question, but let's give the answer. No one. Nothing. Intimate relationship with God is the ultimate satisfaction, the ultimate blessing in our lives. So as I look at this passage and I I start saying, what does this mean for me? Sometimes I think that the feast is the blessing. The feast is the blessing. The fact that I'm delivered from my enemies and there's good food, my cup overflows, there's this anointing thing going on. I think in my mind, that's the blessing. No. That's a, that's a peripheral. That's an extra. The blessing is in the fact that we are near our Father. And it says it, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. How? Because I'm in the house of the Lord. I am with my God. The presence of God is our blessing. And so as we think about that idea, my question to myself and to us is, why would we pursue anything else with fervor? Why why would we pursue saying, you know what? I'm going to fill my schedule to the brim so I can't have any time to be with God because this is my blessing. That's what we're saying with our schedule. We're saying, the thing that I'm spending my time on is my blessing. Sorry, God, our relationship will have to wait to another time. We're pursuing things that will never satisfy, will never deliver. Can your career prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies? Yes, but they're untied and they're probably at the table. (laughs) Our relationship with God is the only thing that can satisfy. That's it. I wish I had more exciting news. That's it. Now, there's a danger here that you're hearing me say your work equals intimacy with God and and that might translate into, well, I better go after it. I better go get God. There's a big piece here that we're missing. In John 10, 
Jesus pulls on this imagery and he says, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. We cannot have green pastures. We cannot have still waters. We cannot have protection through the valley of the shadow of death. We cannot have a feast in the presence of our enemies without first being bought with a price. I am the good shepherd. I lay my life down for the sheep. Jesus is the access pass to intimacy. Jesus is the access pass to our proximity with our Lord God because he's earned it. He earned it for us. Now, there's this fine balance here. Once we're in the flock, is there a a certain amount of following and obeying and being with that has to happen? Yes. But look through this whole, look through this whole psalm. Look at the actions. He makes, he leads, he restores. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table. God does not leave us to our own devices because left to our own devices, we are hopeless. God has enacted salvation, brothers and sisters. He's he's made a way where there was no way. And if we have accepted that way, let us dwell as if we are his sheep. He cares for us. He loves us. He wants us near him. Let's, let's, let's act as if we are his children. He invites us to the table in peace and friendship and family and love. Let's live as if we have a good father and pursue him. The only motivation, the only truth that can truly drive us into this kind of living where we follow our shepherd is a one that recognizes the work that Jesus Christ has already done for you and for me. If you're here and, and, and this, you would, say, you would say, whatever terms you're using to define this, I am not part of God's flock. I am not part of God's family. I have not entered that status, that adoption through Jesus. If you'd say, if that, if that, you're like, no, that's not me. This is for you. This is for you. Christianity teaches that there is a God who is all-knowing, He's all-powerful, and he's all-loving. And in fact, if you study this passage in a certain way, all three of those attributes are present. We believe that this, we have, there's one God, he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, and he's all-loving. Those three things are important. They make God who he is. And we also believe that we are none of those things. We are not all-knowing, we are not all-powerful, and we are definitely not all-loving. And because of that gap, because God is who he is and we are who we are, there is no way for us to be together on those terms. And so Christianity teaches that Jesus, the God-man, he came and he has made reconciliation. And the only way to truly be human, the only way to truly have satisfaction, the only way to truly know what life is all about is to believe in Jesus and the work that he did and to accept the presence of God through that faith. And so here, here, this is for you. If you don't consider yourself in that camp, what if that's true? What if that's true? It changes everything. It changes absolutely everything. And so my challenge to you is this, investigate it as if it could be true. If a friend brought you here, first of all, say, thanks for not just taking me to dinner. Okay? 
say thanks for bringing me to church. It was a little weird, but thanks. Ask them these questions. Ask them to help you investigate what it would mean if it were actually true. If they don't have answers, they're going to come find the answers. I promise you. If, you don't, if you're here just because you showed up, come talk to me. Come talk to Jerry. Come talk to Jonathan or Ben. Any one of our pastors. Anybody at the care table. But my challenge to you is this. Investigate it seriously. There's no more important question to you right now than who is Jesus and what does that mean for me? Now for the rest of us who we consider ourselves parts of the flock, a couple quick points of application. If proximity is intimacy and intimacy is blessing, if that is true, like, like David is showing us here, if provision is God, if, if, if protection is God, and if blessing is God, we have to start asking ourselves that question I brought up at the beginning. Am I seeking the benefits of Jesus? Or am I seeking Jesus for the sake of being near my Lord and Savior? There's a difference we can just look at our prayers. Am I asking for things or am I just seeking to be near? We can look at our habits and our sins and we can start answering this question just based on the evidence of our lives. If there is a sin that's blocking you from intimacy, it's keeping you at arm's length, confess that sin. Find a brother or sister that can walk with you and make a plan. Start uprooting and outrooting that thing from your life. Your salvation is not at stake, but intimacy sure is. Nearness is. Is there a discipline we should be partaking in more joyfully or even at all to bring us closer to God? Babylon B is a satirical Christian news site, and sometimes they nail it. This one came up this week. Man sitting literally three feet away from his Bible asked God to speak to him. Listen. And I'm gonna, that's funny. I'm getting serious for a moment. This is for me too. This is God's word to us. This is not a checklist for making God love you more. You don't read chapter after chapter after chapter. All right, God, look at me. Marking them up. Listen, this is God's word to you and to me. If we want to know him, we have to know this book. We have to study this book. We can't just read day after day. And I tell you, that's my struggle sometimes. I read, I'm like, I didn't get anything out of that. You know what, Ransom? Take a pause. Pray. Get back into it. Study your Lord. Know your God. We want God to send us special messages without doing any work, right? God has given us everything we need to know about him, about ourselves, about our world, right here in the Bible. It's the job, in the, on Trinity Sunday, let me say this, it's the job of the Holy Spirit to detail and fine-tune and complete the work of God. That's what he does. God has plans. Jesus accomplishes the, the thing we need to accomplish those things, and the Holy Spirit enters to finish those things. If we are truly part of the flock, if we are a, a child of God, be encouraged. You have the power within you, not because you have motivation and you can do it, but because the Spirit is present in your life to pursue intimacy. Listen for the Spirit. Listen for what He's saying. 
There's no other place that the Spirit wants us to be than in the satisfaction and the blessing of intimacy with our Savior. Let's pray. Lord, as always, I just pray that the words I've spoken that are not my words, the words that are from your scripture would be a seed that is watered and that you make grow. The spirit is powerful. The, 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 the most incredible miracle that we see in this day and age is a, a lost soul becoming found again. A feral sheep becoming part of the flock. An orphan through adoption, becoming a son and daughter of God through the work and the power of Jesus Christ. And so for everybody in here, no matter their situation, I pray that intimacy with God is on their mind, is in their heart, and you motivate us, Lord. You show us how you accomplish that. You show us how you've made a way. Let green pastures and still waters and restoration of our soul be a motivator this morning to be near you. May we walk paths of righteousness. May we, if we are in that deep dark, that valley of the shadow of death, may we trust, maybe for the first time, may we trust that you are near and that you are sufficient to truly protect us from the things that can actually damage us. And God, may we enjoy the accoutrements of a feast with you, but Lord, may we just be glad to be in your presence. And the powerful God, whose plan cannot be outdone, whose plan cannot be overtaken. Give us intimacy as a church. Give us int intimacy as individuals. Bring us into your kingdom. Bring us into your flock. We love you, Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.